Hi, how are you? Awesome. Uh, hey, turn in your Bible to Ezekiel. We've been in chapter 37 for a little while. I promise you that we're going to get back to the Gospel of Luke soon. Uh, but today, we're going to take one more week and talk from the book of Ezekiel. Now, if you found the book of Ezekiel and you, and because I mentioned Ezekiel 37, you're like, oh, good, Ezekiel 37. Keep going. Ten chapters. Uh, we're actually today going to be in Ezekiel chapter 47, all right? Uh, now, while you are turning to Ezekiel 47, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever... Have you ever, like, in your, in your Christian life, felt like maybe you weren't good at it? <laughs> yeah? Okay. Whew, I'm not the only one. Okay, good. Whew. This was going to be super awkward if everyone in the room was like, no, what a weird question to ask. Like, I feel I'm great at this. <laughs> this is so easy. Okay, good. Whew. I'm in good company, friends. All right. Well, Here's the thing. This question can actually be overwhelming, and it's one of those weird questions that, I mean, I'm kind of making light of it, but isn't it funny that, like, I ask that question, and we're sort of always all asking that question. We're all sort of secretly thinking and assuming I'm probably the one that's messing this up. You know, like, I, I probably don't have this, this all together. Um, it, the, the question itself can actually be kind of overwhelming, right? Um, followers of Jesus somewhere somewhere between like what the world says about Christians and what and and we're constantly wondering like well am I supposed to like disprove that like you know like somebody says like oh Christians are always like this and then you feel responsible like am I supposed to am I supposed to say something about that do I now have to like make a speech about how not all Christians are like the thing that you said and I agree some of that is wild right uh, and, then, and, then, and then what we say in our own selves and our own self-doubt, and, and it's interesting how so many of us are, like we're New Testament believers. We know that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. And yet we sort of have this dialogue in the back of our mind that goes, yeah, and faith alone by Christ alone, and probably also all of the other things that I'm doing that I'm not doing well, and because I'm not doing them well, I'm definitely not actually really on the inside of this thing called the kingdom. It's probably actually my fault. Like, we self-doubt our way into thinking that we're definitely the ones that are just not doing it right. And then we ask ourselves all these different questions. We just get overwhelmed. I, I actually remember a time when I was on the phone with a mentor. His name's Dennis Easter. He actually, back uh, in the day, back in the day, in the 1970s, he was the pastor of this church. And he's a mentor of mine. And I was on the phone with him. And, and I was on the phone with him in a season where I was just feeling terrible. I, 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 feel, I felt like I wasn't being a very good Christian. And I certainly felt like I wasn't being a good pastor. And, and it was it was kind of in that post-COVID era, everything was going crazy, and if I'm completely honest with you, I was thinking, I'm really bad at this job, it probably would be better for everybody if I just like resign and let someone else do it, right? So I'm on the phone with my mentor, and, he, and I'm thinking he's going to give me some really solid advice. He's going to tell me the things that I needed to do. And, and as I'm telling him, I just feel like I'm a bad pastor, I'm not even sure I'm a very good Christian right now. Um, 
he says to me this one question that has stuck with me ever since then. He, he just says, Tim, where is God right now? And I immediately did two things. I answered the question the wrong way and the right way simultaneously. Have you ever done this where the thing that comes out of your mouth, you know, isn't actually the right answer? You know the right answer, but the answer you said is the emotional one? Okay, so here's how I answered that question. I said, Dennis, God is so far away right now, but I know, like, theologically that God is the ever-present help in times of trouble. Like, I know that he's here with me. Like, I know. I grew up in church. I had a God shaped hole in my heart and Jesus came and filled it and like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit like I know all of that but like God is so far away from me and Dennis just let me talk for like five minutes I, I just kind of talked myself in a theological circle for five minutes and then he just goes quiet I'd go quiet and he just goes quiet which when you're talking to a mentor is terrifying it was probably like five seconds so after an hour of five seconds of silence, Dennis, in his distinctly deep voice, says, Tim, where is God right now? And after five minutes of wrestling, I just was like undone. Like, oh, he's here. He's with me. Has anyone ever asked you a question that just reset your, your heart in a way? Aren't those moments so profoundly helpful? I wonder if there was a way that when you feel overwhelmed and like you're probably the person who's messing up Christianity, that you might be able to simplify the conversation, just find the right question that could help you reset. In Ezekiel 47, we're going to see a vision. It's, if, if you were to give it a tagline, a title, it's often referred to as the river of life. This passage is actually a foundational passage for our church. Since we founded Life Church in 2011, this passage, Ezekiel 47, specifically verses 1 through 12, are a foundational passage of Scripture for our church, just like Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, which we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, and from which we draw our vision, as God says to us for, two, for the year 2024, and you will live. It's on a banner right outside those doors. But Ezekiel 47 offers us this incredible vision, and today, I want to study Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12, with you through the lens of hoping to offer you three questions that might be the kinds of questions that Dennis asked me that day on the phone, that, that maybe one or maybe all three of these questions might be the kinds of things that you could ask yourself, or maybe a better way to say that is the Holy Spirit could ask you. If you just needed, like I needed, a reset, a little bit from feeling like I was dead and terrible to something a little bit more alive. So, Lord, as we study this passage today, would you illuminate your word by your Holy Spirit? Help me say to your church what I believe you have sent me to say today. Help us to have ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ezekiel 47. Let's, uh, let's make this a legal sermon and read the Bible. Um, Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 1, it says, Then he, just so you know, uh, me, the first person, is Ezekiel in this context, and he in this uh, 
in this vision is the angel of the Lord. So he's leading Ezekiel around on this in this prophetic vision that he's having, which actually starts earlier uh, than what we're reading right now. But so we'll pick up this vision. It says, then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east, the water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Next he brought me out by way of the north gate and he led me around the outside of the outer gate that faced east. There was water that was trickling from the south side. Just so, just so you know, if you're already lost, if that was already too many words for you, we're going to go through this again, okay? I know, that's a lot already. We're going all the way to verse 12. Okay, let's, let's keep on going. What verse were we in? Verse 3. It says, uh, so he brought me out by the way of the north gate. He led me around the east side, and there was water trickling from the south side. Verse 3 is, the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand. He measured off a third of a mile, and he led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile, and he led me through the water. It came up to my waist. And again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot. Uh, so he measures four times, and each time it has, uh, he then measures how deep it is. For the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be crossed on foot. He asked me, do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the riverbank. He said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region that goes down to the Arabah. When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows. And there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from En Gedi to En Eglium. These will become places where nets are spread out to dry. Their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt. All kinds of trees providing food will grow along the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. What a, what a like thick, weighty vision. There's a lot going on here. I, I would like to just tell you, this, this happens to be one of what, in my opinion, I think is one of the more, if not most, nuanced and layered visions uh, certainly of Ezekiel's, if not a prophetic of the prophetic visions in Scripture. Um, so, so there's a lot of meaning baked into this vision that Ezekiel has, uh, and there's a lot of different elements. And remember, we're really only today going to ask ourselves, through studying this passage, we're going to ask ourselves three questions that will help us uh, to, to evaluate the health, if you will, of our spirituality. Now, this passage, this vision that Ezekiel has is simultaneously about the ancient people of Israel. There was something like a right now for Ezekiel and the people of Israel. But it's also very clearly a future picture of the new covenant 
church, the, the New Testament people of Jesus. This passage offers us lessons for historical studies of the history of God's people. So like you can read this passage and see a little bit about what God was doing and saying to his people then. It offers us lessons for the development of the church. And when I say church, I mean the, the capital C church, the global people of Jesus around the world throughout all of history, the church, and also the the local church, like this is a, we would use the lowercase c, this is a local congregation, a, a local church within a city. Uh, and then also this offers us lessons for the lives of individual disciples. In other words, this is about you and the person sitting next to you, as well as it's about life church and every church, the body of Christ. So as you learn from this passage, I, I want you to know that, that it teaches multiple lessons. In fact, this passage can teach us more things than I'm going to have time to say to you today. But this is also just really important. This is the teacher in me. If, can you allow me just to say this? Just because a passage means multiple things doesn't mean it means everything. Okay, so it's important as we study especially biblical prophecy that we don't just think because it means more than one thing that it can just mean whatever we want. So we can't just grab this passage and go, oh, therefore this, because it, you know, I decided I think it means this. The Bible only ever means what it can mean, right? It cannot mean what it doesn't mean. I was just saying this to my preaching practicum students uh, down at Life Bible College, the other, Life Bible College, Life Pacific University, thank you very much. Um, uh, I was just saying this to our preaching practicum uh, class. My Bible teachers and my preaching teachers when I was in Bible college would tell me all the time, the Bible cannot mean what it does not mean. All right, so I, I want to say to you that what I'm, what I'm going to present to you is not going to be everything you can draw from this text. Um, but it is with years of study from this passage that these are things that we can learn and apply to our personal lives. Deal? All right, good. Okay. Now, there's one more thing that we have to understand before we get into these three simple questions, and that is this. In Ezekiel's vision, there is a, a source for this river. Does anybody remember what the source is? It's a temple, right? It's a temple. Okay, but I, I, I need you to understand this. The, the source, there's so much metaphor and imagery and, and multiple layers of meaning in this vision. Uh, you need to understand this. The source is not actually a building. See, the Jewish people had, have had a physical temple, a physical building, but the vision that Ezekiel is having is not actually about a physical building. It's about something different. In fact, you could argue that the real physical temple that the people of Israel have had is always meant to be a metaphor in its own right, pointing to something different, pointing to people. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean with two biblical texts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. So the temple is it's not a building. This is why we don't say that Life Church is this building that we're in with this awesome new desert landscaping that we have out front. Did you see it today? Yeah, that's awesome, but that landscaping is not the temple. It's nice, but that's not holy rock out there. I mean, unless you anointed the rock, but eh, don't. That's strange. Don't do that. The church is the people of God. The temple 
is you. Now, that's only half the point. That's only half the thing that we have to understand because the temple was, was in the heart of God's city, and now the temple resides in the heart of God's people. But we also understand that Jesus taught in John chapter 7, he says, uh, he, he says this, The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And he said this about the Spirit, because those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. So the river of life that this Ezekiel's vision is about is about a river that flows from the heart of God's temple. And Scripture teaches us that because of the work of Jesus, the temple is the people of God. We together make up the temple. You individually, as you have a relationship with God, you are the temple of the Most High God. And the river of life is meant to flow out of you as you, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, experience and share all of the goodness and the intention and the plan and the purpose and the work of God in and through your life. Now, if you understand that, you're brilliant, and you've like already like three sermons in to what could have been a series. Now, with that understanding, we can use that as a baseline to get to these three questions. As we understand that the river of life is designed to change culture wherever it flows, and it's meant to flow from your heart because you are the temple of God, we can see that Ezekiel might help us ask this first question as we are wondering, am I messing this up and you just want to know, like my mentor asked to me, hey, where is God right now? Ezekiel helps us to ask this question. Where are you going? Okay, pop quiz. In Ezekiel's vision, in which direction is the river flowing? East. Good job, students. I, you can tell I put my professor hat on today, right? Okay, so the river is flowing out eastward. Now, if I were to uh, have written this vision, it would go something like this. And the river flowed out, and it went about 20 feet and immediately landed in heaven. And everything was perfect, and there was never anything bad, and uh, yay. There would, like, yay would show up in Scripture all over the place. If I had written it, thank God that I didn't write it. It would be a much, uh, it, would, it would just be a waste of your time. So anyway, uh, now, I didn't decide where it went. God decided where it went. And in this vision, the direction of the river of life going out toward the east is actually really, really important. Now, east for the Jewish people, and Ezekiel would have understood this and his original audience would have understood this, that east actually has geographical significance for the people of Israel. East was physically the direction of a lot of enemies. So it's interesting that the river goes out east. Historically, east was the direction of exile. So if you would have said, if Ezekiel had said to his Jewish buddies, hey, you remember when we went east, they wouldn't have felt great about that. And east also is the direction that Adam and Eve went when they were driven out of the Garden of Eden because sin had entered into the world. So east, interestingly enough, is not automatically the, oh, we're going east? Heaven is right around the corner. East actually, for the Jewish people, represented the direction of the dead and sinful world of God's enemies. So isn't it interesting then that God directs the river of life 
towards the dead. Towards the enemies of God's people. Towards the lost. Why would he do that? I think you know why he would do that. He does that because Jesus directed himself towards the lost and the enemies of God and the people who were dead. And and then he said, now you direct your life in the same way. Because God is always in the business of bringing his kingdom to the lost. He says, you point your life toward the lost as well. Now, if I were going to, like, play the devil's advocate for a moment and say, you know, it would be great is to, like, if I could get the river of life to not do what it was supposed to do, here's, here's, what, I, here's what I would lie to the church about. I would say, the church is a building, and if you want to experience the life of God, you've got to get in the building around the people of God. And that's, like, everyone has to come to you to experience life, right? So, so... By the way, I'm not knocking the, like, uh, seeker-sensitive church movement. Lots of people met Jesus in that movement. But, but one of the things that I think the devil has done uh, to lie to us is to make us so complacent, thinking that life only happens in the church. And Jesus said it would be great if you would remember that you're, at some point today you're going to leave the church building and still be the church person. Right? So the river flows east so that we don't forget that the orientation of your life for the person who has become the temple of the Most High God because you have been blood-bought and transformed by the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit from a dead person to the temple of God, that the orientation of the life of that kind of person is towards the person who is not yet that kind of person. No shade for you, Lorenzo. I know you're, you're, you're good. I, 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 So where are you going? Where are you going? And when you feel like maybe you just are the worst Christian that's ever lived, a good reset question could be, hey, where are you going? Is there something about your life that is oriented towards self-preservation? Or or is there something about your life that, that is oriented toward those that need salvation? And I think that if you were to say, God, there is something about my life that is oriented, pointed towards those who need to meet you, that God would, would say to you, then I think your life is pointed in the right direction. When you became a fountainhead of the river of life, which is like my fancy way of saying you're a temple with a river flowing out of it, I don't think God just wanted to change the world within you. I think God wanted to change the world around you with what is flowing out from you. Amen? So if you were to evaluate your engagement with the world for a second, like you just like measure your life for a second, do you have space in your life to minister God's love to lost people? Like, do you know any? Do you know people who don't know Jesus? Do you have a job? Then yes. Do you have neighbors? Probably. Yeah, like we know people who don't know Jesus. So remember, the Great Commission doesn't say wait for them to come to us. It says go. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Notice that the first word is go. 
So you cannot be a river if you're trying to act like a lake. Second question, what are you measuring? What are you measuring? Uh, there, there are, th- there are four, four references to, to measurement in Ezekiel's vision. Let me just refresh your memory. It says the man went out east measure, with a measuring line in his hand. This is in verse 3. It, he measured off a third of a mile, and he, he led me through the water. Then it came up to my ankles. He measured up another third of a mile. It came up to my knees. He measured up another third of a mile, and it came up uh, to my waist. Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and the river was so large, it was so deep, I, I just couldn't cross it. So what, what is, what's measured? Let's, let's pay attention to what is measured. What is measured by name in this passage is distance. It's about a third of the mile four times, right? Okay. So a little over a mile total. And the other thing that's measured is depth. It goes ankle deep, waist deep, or knee deep, waist deep, too deep, <laughs> Right? So what's not measured in this vision is really interesting. It's always struck me as strange that there is no measurement. There's no number given to how wide the, wither, the, the river becomes. The width of the river seems to be completely irrelevant in this vision. I presume it got wider, but it doesn't actually say that. It's almost like it just goes overlooked. So let's think about the significance of this for a minute minute as we wrestle with this question. This will land in, I think, a pretty practical place in in your heart in just a moment. But but why would we measure the distance? Uh, The distance is measured. In fact, I was reading some commentaries on this, just wrestling with this question. Why is the distance measured, and, and why that way? And one commentary that I read actually was really interesting. It said that the the measurement of a third of a mile four times, just to go a little bit over a mile is almost as if it was to emphasize just how short of a distance it is from the temple. It's a mile and a third, and in that time, it's become so deep, it is uncrossable. So these measurements highlight the miraculously rapid expansion of God's kingdom. So so I think the distance is measured, so that we can see, oh, God is trying to show me this is going to grow fast, right? Okay, so why not measure the width? Well, I, I think simply put, because if, if we're to apply this to the spiritual reality that we're trying to understand here, it is that God seems to not be interested on me, in measuring what is obviously a surface-level measurement. Width would represent the, the width of the river, would represent something to us like reach and influence. And if, and if God had measured the width, all of my friends who have leadership degrees and, and, and who are like super interested in making arguments for the size of church matters to whether or not your church is successful and, and all of that, we, we would just would do this. We would hold conferences on that verse that says how wide it got and go, see, your church needs to be this wide if you want to make it a successful church. And God says, I don't care about how wide your church is. And, and if there were, like, the youth group was back from camp right now, I would say God doesn't care about how many followers you have on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, he's, he's not 
interested in your influence. He seems to be interested in your depth. Right? Because he measures it multiple times. And the implication is that every single time you're measured, which is pretty often if you think like a third of a mile, and if we were to keep going, every third of a mile, we're just going to keep on being measured. The implication is there aren't supposed to be seasons of not growing in your life. And the world tells us that we should be growing this way. And God says, don't waste your time worrying about growing this way. Spend your energy growing this way. Growing deep. That's what I'm actually interested in. We can presume that you will grow wider. And, and look, there's nothing in the passage that says to Ezekiel, don't pay attention to how wide it grows. That's sinful. It's like we're not making a commentary on wide is bad. We're saying wide is irrelevant. If, if, you are, if you go from here and you plant a church and reach a million people, I'll be the first in line to celebrate. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But you had better grow deeper than you grow wide. Right? Because at the end of the day, like God's not interested in you sacrificing depth at the, for the sake of width. It would be the other way around. Let God worry about how much reach and influence you have. You grow deep. Okay, maybe you're like, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to go plant a church. Like, I don't care about cultural influence. Okay, well, fine, good. All right, you're not going to be a pastor. You're not going to be a preacher. You're not going to plant a church. You don't have an Instagram account. There are plenty of ways that we try to look like Christians, right? When I was growing up, it was, did you attend church every Sunday of the month? and every Wednesday, right? Like it was the bragging right uh, among the Christian group. Like, well, I'm in church every time the doors are open, right? Uh, I don't smoke or chew or go with the girls that do. That was the old expression that I always heard as a kid and I didn't understand. And then I found out what all of those things were and I was like, yeah, I don't wanna do those things either. Uh, but, but it's interesting, There's, uh, we, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make light of this a little bit. So uh, let me just land it in your heart. You know that it is hypocrisy to spend a lot of energy trying to look like a Christian and not actually go deep in relationship with God. And, and for everything that has, done, has been done in Christian culture, particularly in the West, that has damaged the relationship between the disciple of Jesus and the savior of their soul, a lot of it has been, you better behave. And friends, just so you know, if you think I'm just trashing on the West, like this was the Pharisees' problem, it was the disciples' problem, it was the early church's problem, it's still our problem. For generations down the line, the enemy of your soul has been trying to get you, well, if you're going to be a Christian, just make it look like you're one, and then you can have all of your secret sins. Don't go deep in your relationship with God. Don't spend any time with him in prayer or in the word or anything like that. Just look like you're a Christian. And then at the end of the day, people will say a eulogy about your life and say, he sure behaved like a Christian. She sure was a wonderful-looking person, but God will know, I never actually knew you. You were not deep with me. 
And I think another place that we have to ask ourselves a question of application about this question is, have you actually grown? Do you know in 2 Peter, let me read it to you. In 2 Peter um, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. There's this expectation for you to grow. To grow. And I think one of the reasons why you have spent so much time feeling like you're the person who is definitely terrible at being a Christian is because somewhere along the way, something lied to you and got into your heart and said, when God says to grow, you thought grow this way in outward appearance. And God said, no, just be with me and you will grow deep. This is what is, this is the good life, right? You remember when David was anointed king, the future king of Israel. The prophet comes and he wants to anoint the tallest, most attractive of the sons of Jesse. And God, what does God say to him? Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Right? Ezekiel 47 invites us to ask this question. What are you measuring? I love the idea that distance is measured with a line, with like a measuring stick. There's something mathematical about it. And then when it comes to measuring depth, what's the instrument of measurement for measuring depth? A physical body. Ezekiel, right? What's the measurement of depth for distance? A ruler. What's the measurement of depth? We went a third of a mile. Oh, it's up to my ankles. We went another third of a mile and it's up to my knees. You see, the measurement of the kingdom of God in your life is your life. It's your life. You know why I love this? Because it protects me from mathing and comparing. I mean, mathing, good. I don't want to do any of that. We'll send all that to Kyle Esmerly. Thanks for that time you tutored my kids. Um, and yay math, but... I, love, I just love the idea that when God looks at Ezekiel and says, we're going to measure how deep you've grown in my kingdom, he doesn't say, tell me how many Bible verses you've memorized. He says, how deep have you gone? And the goal is, this should be so deep that the kingdom of God in your life should actually feel more overwhelming than the dry stuff on the land. Like, the goal is, be consumed. Be consumed. Have you ever tried to be consumed by the water in a kiddie pool? It's very hard. I'm just saying. God says there should be something deeper about you today than there was a third of a mile ago. A third of a mile ago, you were at your knees, and that's fine. That was good for then. And if you're at your knees now, that's probably fine. But a third of a mile from now, be at your waist. Go deeper. So how do we do that? How do we actually go deeper? 
Well, the world tells us that we have to measure up to their standards and we have to agree to this and say that and the other thing and not say this thing. And, and God just says, just be with me. Just be with me. Just give more of you to me. I think if you were to make this really practical, just ask yourself a question like this. When you say, what are you measuring? And I, God, I want to measure deep. I want to go deep in relationship with you. How do I know that I'm going deeper? And allow God to ask you this. Is there anything in your life that I have not consumed yet? For me, the way I used to ask myself that question is, if there's anything in my life that if a prophet came to my church, I'd be scared that he knew about. <laughs> That's the way I asked the question, right? There was this prophet named Roger Smets. He used to come to the church every year. You remember him, Greg? He would always come and he would go like, he would say like this, but God, I don't know why I remember that. I don't remember 90% of the things that he said, but he would do that motion a lot, right? Just on the other side of a breakthrough. And I would always sit like somewhere over here with my mom and I'd be like this. <laughs> and it was terrifying as a kid. Now, as a slightly more wise person, I actually see that as an invitation. Oh, God, there's a place in my life where I wish that the prophet wouldn't know about. Is a great invitation to say, God, there's something in me that isn't in you yet. So I, I give that to you. How do we do that? We confess our sins to the Lord and to our friends to save people. We repent and learn to live in new ways. We find ourselves in community like life groups where we can do that sort of thing and we give our lives more and more over to the goodness of God. Obviously, there's a lot more to that, but I find that it's helpful for me to just simply ask this question. What am I measuring? Am I measuring what it looks like or am I measuring my depth? And the third question would be this. Where are you planted? So Ezekiel's shown uh, two ecosystems in, in relationship to this vision, right? He's, he's shown, if you remember, and you can read back through verses 1 through 12, but you'll remember that he comes back to the dry land. The, the angel of the Lord leads him back to the shore, and it says, hey, take a look. Have you seen all of this? And as he looks back... He sees all of these trees along the banks of the river, all along the side. And the way that these trees are described is that they're evergreen. In every single season, there's always leaves on the trees, and those leaves are good for medicine. And then there's always fruit. It says there's fruit in every season, which is interesting because we know physically that there are seasons where fruit usually doesn't grow. And God says not along the banks of the river of life. Which doesn't mean you won't go through seasons. It means that there will still be fruit in every season. Which is interesting. And we could talk all about what that means, but not in this sermon. We don't have time for that. But that's the ecosystem that grows along the banks of the river. And then it says, but away from the river, there's marshland. And nothing good grows there. It's not life-giving. And the, whatever could grow there isn't going to be a blessing to you or really to anybody else. These two different ecosystems. You see, the ability of life to grow on a tree has a lot to do with the soil that it's planted in. Right? We know this from multiple places in Scripture. 
We think about the parable of the, of the, we call it the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, right? Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 13. The farmer, he goes out to sow the seed, to plant the seed on the ground, and, and there's different kinds of soil, and the different kinds of soil produce different kinds of fruit, and it's really only the good soil that produces a good harvest. And Jesus explains that to his disciples later on, and he says the good soil is the person who isn't distracted by the cares of the world and is fully given themselves over to the things of God and, and just is good soil spiritually before God. They receive the word of God and let the word grow up in their life, and the word of God produces a harvest in their life. In other words, the word shapes and changes your life not the world changing what the word means. Okay, so another way to ask this question then is, from what source do you draw life? If the fruit that grows on a tree is determined by the soil the tree is planted on, the question is, what are you drawing your life from? What, what are you planted in? There's a really important and helpful principle spiritually that would tell us this. What you give your attention to will determine what grows in your life. What you pay attention to is what feeds your soul. What you give your attention to is where you're planted. I was looking at statistics again. I do this from time to time about how much time we spend like on, on TV and social media and all of that. It's ridiculous the amount of hours that you spend in a week or even a year if you think about how much time in your life we spend just distracted. Just distracted. So what are you watching? What are you giving yourself your attention to? That's what will grow up in your life. And it'll determine which ecosystem you're in, the good trees along the banks of the river or the marshy land where nothing of life can grow. I think this is why Paul in the second chapter of Colossians, he actually tells us something profoundly important. He says, let your roots grow down into him. That's him is Jesus Christ. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Doesn't that sound like a tree that is evergreen and has fruit in every season? If you do what? Let your roots grow down into Christ and build your whole life up on him. In verse 8, this is Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. If you've paid attention to anything anyone is talking about about any topic in the world right now, you know that there's a bunch of hogwash going on, Right? Now, I don't know that there's more lies being spread in the world now than there were 20 or 30 years ago, I think maybe we're just hearing more of them. We're inundated with the lies that we're hearing about what is true and what is right and what is good because you've got TV on a 24-hour news cycle and you've got shows that are now trying to indoctrinate us into what is things that are absolutely not true and good and right and noble. And then you've got your social media in the computer in, in your pocket. 
that is like a constant flow, right? We've got generations being raised more by TikTok than their own parents on what is true and right and good. And Jesus says, let your roots grow down into me and don't be pulled away by empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. But put your roots into Christ. So where are you planted? Being rooted in Jesus looks like this, and you know this, but, but it, it looks like drawing life from God's Word. Practically speaking, we would spend time in God's Word every day. And there's a million different ways that you could do that. But do that. I, I would invite you, if, if you feel like maybe you've been living in the marshy land, that, um, that one of the ways that we can ask this question that helps us to reset and we go, where are we planted? And I realize, oh, no, I'm planted far away from the source of the river of life. I would invite you then to say, well, maybe it's time for me to cut off all the media that doesn't produce life in me and actually spend time in God's word. just an invitation. After all, Scripture is called the bread of life. I heard a pastor one time, his name is Wayne Cordero, he said, you know, I hear a lot of people in my church who uh, they miss their daily Bible reading, and then they feel so guilty that they didn't read their Bible yesterday that they shame themselves out of reading their Bible tomorrow. And he said, it's interesting that we do that with the bread of life, but if you did that with breakfast, you would still eat lunch. In fact, you might eat more lunch. So friends, what are, what are you planted in? I pray that you are planted in the word of life. Amen? All right. Here's what we know. Christian life in this world is hard. Yeah? It's not easy. You can't do it alone. You need a friend. <laughs> it can be really, really common for us to feel like we don't measure up because we're measuring ourselves up to all kinds of standards. We can be drawn away, pulled away by all kinds of other things. But, but Ezekiel's vision of the river of life in, in Ezekiel chapter 4, it shows us a, a, a picture of this robust and dynamic spiritual life, and, and it invites us to ask some really simple questions that would determine the health of our spiritual lives. So the next time that you want to do a pulse check on your faith, or you're feeling like you don't quite measure up, I just want to invite you to ask yourself these three questions that we talked about today. They're going to be here on the screen again for you. Where are you going? What are you measuring? And where are you planted? For me, these questions are very much just like the question that Dennis Easter asked me that day on the phone. Tim, where is God? I had to come to terms with the fact that I was the one that had moved, and God was with me, but I, was not, I had become unaware of his presence. I had to repent of that and come back into the presence of God. Friends, I would just say to you, if you find that you are not going toward the lost, if, you, if the answer to the question, where are you going, is I'm going inward to, towards myself, I'm, I'm self-centered, or I'm going out towards the world, here, here's, here's the prayer that I would ask you to pray. Begin like this, God, give me a love for people who are far from you. Then let's make it super practical, right? You can do this right now. 
Think of at least one person that you know who's far from God. Did a, did a name or a face just flash across your mind? Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a person who lives next door to you. Pray for them. By name. If they're neighbors with you and you still don't know their name, just do the courageous thing and say, ah, this is embarrassing. I forgot your name. Just ask their name. Pray for them. By name. Think about that person. Plan to spend some time with them. And then ask them this. This is the greatest icebreaker of all, and I've never had anybody say, how dare you ask me that question when I just say, how can I pray for you? Just say, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them. If you want the easiest thing, next step that you could possibly do, invite them to church. Invite them to your life group. Invite them to spend some time with you around other people that look like Jesus. Okay, and for, for real, like, I, I, I see it. I, I already see the gears turning. Don't overthink this. <laughs> Don't overthink this. This is the principle. Just be like Jesus when you're around them, just like you're like Jesus when you're around us. Is that, just like that. And then trust that the Holy Spirit will do all of the work, and then let Jesus in you rub off on them rather than the other way around. Right? Because if you get around them and you start acting more like them, just stop. Right? Come back to church, pray, and then go be a good neighbor. <laughs> this is the goal, right? Okay, if you find that you've been measured uh, by the world's standard, schedule some time to be alone with God. We can talk more about this at some other time, but the, the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude is a powerful tool for growing deeper with God. Here's, here's, I'll just make this super practical for you. Turn your phone on airplane mode and set a timer for 10 minutes. Airplane mode means no phone calls, no text messages, no internet, right? Set a timer for 10 minutes and turn your phone face down in walking distance away from you, okay? And then sit down for 10 minutes until the timer goes off. And do that every day for 30 minutes and then come and tell me that your relationship with God didn't grow deeper right? 10 minutes will suddenly not be enough to set a timer for longer and do it every day. This will deepen your relationship with God. There are many other things that you could do. Begin there. Third, if you find that you have been drawing on the resources of the world, again, I said this a minute ago, turn the TV off, turn social, you don't need it, you don't need the game on your phone, you don't need social media, you don't need the programs, you definitely don't need the news, you live in a world where you have never, no one has ever had as much access to good preaching as you do. At Life Church. <laughs> but like on YouTube. Like you have so much access to good preaching. You want a good recommendation? Every sermon ever by John Mark Comer, John Tyson. Uh, just go find Tim Keller. Like the whole, it's all good. Like just go find good preaching. Good preaching. I do have some standards, and if you're not sure, like, I would love to tell you, we love everybody who tries to preach the word, but we're not all good. I don't mean skill. I mean, like, there's some wonky stuff out there, so, like, good preaching. Okay, all right, you get the point. <laughs> and for those of you who are like, say some names, who, what? No, I'm not going to tell you that. The truth is, this, this idea can't be made more simple. It's just so 
easy. The more time you spend with God's word, the more of God's word and his spirit will come alive in you. The more your spirit will come alive. Right? I've been a Christian for so long. Why don't I feel like I've grown? How much time do you spend in God's word? Cool. Spend more. Amen? God, we want our lives to honor you. We want our lives to look more and increasingly more like you. We, we recognize, God, that our lives don't always look like we are spending more and more time like you, with you or looking more and more like you. This thing out here is hard, God. We need help. God, our desire as followers of the way of Jesus is to experience all of the good things that you have for us in your heart but we are distracted and we often put our roots down into all kinds of things that have nothing to do with you or your kingdom. So forgive us, God. And welcome us into your presence as we turn our attention back to you, reset our attention back to you. And Lord, as we, we also know that you've called us to, to bring your love out to the lost, but we're we're often focused on our own lives or whether or not we measure up that, that we miss opportunities to share the love that you've given to us in your name with the world. And so give us a love for those who do not yet love you. God, as we root our lives and our loves deeper and deeper into you, would you use the fruit of your kingdom that grows up in our lives to be a blessing to the world around us. Showing the world that you are good and using our lives as an invitation to become the temple of the Most High God and to have the river of life flow out of our lives. God, would you do this in and through us? Friends, as we move to a final moment here together today, I pray this blessing over you in the name of Jesus. May your life be deeply rooted in Christ. May your life bear great fruit as your heart grows deeper into God's loving presence. May you find release from the pressure to measure up. And may the overflow of your life in God's kingdom be a blessing to the world around you. May your life be found to be growing more and more fruit as you grow deeper into God's heart and his kingdom. And in that place, may you experience God's love and understand his good pleasure with you as his child. And may you be a blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.